Welcome one and all to New Mexico in Focus. This is our podcast for Friday, January, or January, what am I doing? June 10th, 2022. It's been a long week, an election week, that'll do it to you, brain fog for sure. It was a busy week with the elections, and we're going to be talking all about it on this episode. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. I know most of you were paying attention following along with the election results this week as we get ready for the general election now. We're just getting to the serious part. Although it is important to keep track of what happened in the primaries, especially for those races that are uncontested now in the general election. And uh, we've got a great uh, things lined up uh, in store for this podcast to get into all of that. And we're going to start off with our line opinion panel for this week. And that is made up of two former lawmakers who are no strangers to elections. We've got Dee Dee Feldman, former state senator. She also does work with Common Cause, who you'll hear more about in a bit on this episode. Also, Dan Foley, former House Minority Whip. Both of those are line regulars. You have come to know them over the years. Also, we welcome back Dave Mulryan from Everybody Votes. So just the perfect panel to break down everything in the primary election from Tuesday, including turnout, which was okay. Uh, Maybe not as high as some people expected, considering this is the first time that there is a path for people who are registered, declined to state, to actually participate in the primary elections. Just under 25%, which sort of holds as kind of the normal for a primary, uh, especially in a midterm. But love to see those numbers even higher and will be interesting to see how that translates to turnout in the general election. Of course, the big news is Mark Ronchetti won the Republican nomination for uh, the gubernatorial race. He will square off with incumbent Michelle Lujan Grisham. I think that that in and of itself in an outcome is not necessarily surprising, but it was a dominant win by Ronchetti in a crowded field uh, that had a lot of advertising and a lot of negative back and forth. And so we will dive into all of that as well as some of the other key outcomes from Tuesday's election. So enough of me talking about it. Let's get to these great thoughts from these great line opinion panelists and, of course, host Gene Grant. We have a great group this week to talk about what happened on primary election day. Welcome back to former New Mexico State Senator Dee Dee Feldman. Former state representative and House Minority Whip at the time, Daniel Foley, joins us again. And finally, my man Dave Mulryan, founder of Everybody Votes New Mexico. We always like to have Dave on after an election. Now, we're going to touch on as many of the big races as we can. And then a little bit later in the show, we'll focus our attention ahead for the general election. But the headline after the primary was former weatherman Mark Ronchetti's big win, taking the Republican nomination for governor. Daniel, let me start with you here. How did he pull off such an overwhelming victory considering he got 58% of the vote with a fairly crowded field? I think I think there's multiple things to talk about. First of all, Gene, mm-hmm. and you know, I always take shots at you and we're good friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I do you introduce uh, uh, U.S. Senator Ben Ray Lujan as former blackjack dealer, former Ben Ray Lujan? So I think I think people aren't buying the myth that he's just weatherman Ronchetti, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was a big push and i think he did a good job of getting it around the state and letting people see 
you know, maybe the weatherman isn't just a weatherman. Um, I think also he did it. I think he I think what's interesting was to see all this talk nationally about everybody running towards President Trump and being a Trump guy and that everybody, you know, there's a lot of media talk about everybody in New Mexico on this Trump bandwagon on the Republican side. And yet clearly, uh, you know, uh, Mark Ronchetti was able to to straddle that fence, right? He wasn't mm-hmm. anti-Trump, but he wasn't all in with Trump. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he won an overwhelming victory. I think it's, you know, I think he had a dominant performance in the primary. And I think more importantly, you know, here, here's the key is, you know, um, we hear about all the, the fights that are going on the, that the primary has caused. But I think what happened with Ronchetti is he ran 10 ads during the primary, 10 ads, 10 TV ads. Seven of those ads were general election ads. Four of those seven were contrast ads with Michelle Lujan Grisham. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the governor. So I think that, you know, I think while everybody else was trying to position, I think there's a lot to be said for showing up and assuming you're the nominee. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think one of the big takeaways as we were talking off camera, and I'll bring it up here, is how in the world does a guy not even get on the ballot at the Republican pre-primary convention and then get 58% of the vote in the primary? Mm-hmm. It shows you that one, the party is flawed and dysfunctional, and two, that this whole pre-primary convention thing, it's time to go, mm-hmm. right? I mean, those you can't have six, 700 people making decisions for 300,000 people in New Mexico. They clearly are not representative of the majority of the people in the party because, you know, this guy, I mean, he didn't even gather enough votes to get on on there. Thank God there's a way to get on there. Mm -hmm. And he got on there and he overwhelmingly won in the primary. So I think he's positioned very well going into the general election. And I'm not the only one who thinks that I would say, you know, literally today or yesterday, yesterday, I think the RGA was up with ads against Governor Grisham. And I can't remember another time that within a day or two of the election that the people going after them, the RGA, especially on the Republican side, was up this early mm-hmm. with a candidate. So they must feel really good about Ron Ketty's chances. I, had, I have to agree. I hadn't thought about it that way. It's an interesting point. Uh, let's speak about, talk about Rebecca Dow, Senator uh, Feldman. You know, I have to personally confess, I was a little shocked she only ga- gathered 60, uh, 15% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been talking about this with a lot of people. A lot of folks come down to the idea that she sort of hurt herself with the way she came out of the gate, her ads, all that kind of thing, so strong against Ron Ketty. In your opinion, what went wrong there for the representative? Because something didn't quite take hold with the electorate on the Republican side here. Well, um, I just think she was overwhelmed by Ron Ketty's celebrity, mm-hmm. his fame, uh, his, uh, he's well known to, uh, to New Mexicans. And she, you know, legislators always think that they're better known than they really are. Fair point. Um, and, um, and then her advertisement on horseback about immigrants, about they were, they were pretty dark and pretty threatening mm-hmm. about how the sky was falling. Um, and, uh, then, uh, you know, she got attacked tremendously by, Ron Ketty, this was this was a big surprise to me how somebody who was uh, like 25, maybe more points ahead mm-hmm. would do a very hard charging negative campaign against Dow, basically saying she harbored sexual predators right. uh, in her business uh, and uh, it was a threat to uh, preschool children. Um, and that was that was uh, pretty unnecessary, I thought, on the part of Ron Ketty. And, uh, you know, all those ads that Dan mentioned, yeah, there were a lot of ads 
but most of them were negative. They were either negative against uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham or they were negative and very negative mm -hmm. against Dow. So I think that, um, you know, she had to use some of her money to respond uh, to that, uh, to that uh, sexual predator harborer ad. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, uh, that's always a waste. Interesting point there. I'd forgotten about that in the scrum of all these ads. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Dave Mulryan, I'm going to button down uh, this and we're going to move on to the uh, district attorney's race. But in, in your sense of where Mr. Trump fits into the dialogue, Dan mentioned this. What was your sense of how Ms. Dow approached that and, and trying to use that as a hammer against Mr. Ronchetti? You know, let's go a little bit bigger here. I think the big story out of the Dow, Ronchetti, Trump, Republican governor race is that everybody was wrong, you know? Like, nobody really has a good feel for the electorate, except, of course, Dan was right. He warned us, right? We knew that. Um, but, you know, I think that, that, that you know, Trump is just this wild card. I mean, he's a three-dimensional wild card. We never know which way it can go. You can win by, you know, hitching your star to him you can win by ignoring him you you know it just we just don't know i mean he's just such a wild card but i think that that the, the misunderstandings the miscalculations that the republican party doesn't understand their electorate that you know in general the pundits all of us don't seem to understand the electorate and the electorate just decides what they're going to do and they do it you mm -hmm. know they don't care what we think they don't care what anyone thinks it's just really i think it's really actually fascinating i don't know how you i don't know how you you, you know you you politic or you campaign and and figure that in i have no idea yeah. and if i knew i would tell everybody but i don't and you say hey if anybody does let us know uh senator feldman Bernalillo county da raul torres wins the democratic nomination for attorney general the knock on him of course was crime in albuquerque the big knock but it voters don't seem to blame him it's kind of the same way mayor keller wasn't necessarily blamed for crime here too uh, are people right to be not be blaming individuals for these crime issues? It's complex, certainly, but in politics, usually someone pays somewhere. Not this time around. What was your sense of it? Well, I think that mm -hmm. voters are um, becoming a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to crime, at least Democratic voters. Mm -hmm. um, and so they know that there are, uh, as uh, Tim Keller said, a lot of moving parts here. But remember, the voters did elect the prosecutor. They did elect the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So even though he was attacked uh, for being a bad prosecutor, mm -hmm. uh, when, given the choice between a prosecutor and uh, a, um, a uh, insider, so to speak, which is the way uh, Raul Torres tried to portray uh, Brian Cologne, mm -hmm. they picked the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really misguided there because uh, the attorney general is not a prosecutor. That is not the job of right. the attorney general. Yep. Uh, the attorney general really is much more of an administrator concerned with ethics, transparency, civil law rather than criminal law. Um, and um, it's really the courts and the DAs that uh, play much more in that arena. Mm -hmm. Dan, real quick, go, you ahead. Get, go ahead, if you would. Go, sorry, Gene, go ahead. 
Uh, just real quick, I want to get your thoughts on what Didi just mentioned, but I got another subject I want to put to you as well. Oh, Mr. Give me the subject. I'll, I'll work them in. Mr. Cologne, what did he do wrong there? What didn't work for him? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, in politics, as we all know, it's always death of a thousand cuts, right? It's mm -hmm. rarely, I mean, short of murder or something like that, it's rarely that's the one thing. Yeah. I think what really hurt him was not giving ground when that father came on and said, stop using my son in your ads. Gotcha. Um, I think that really, that really, that really touched a lot of people. I would think, you know, he, and, and not only did he not take it out, it got brought up in the debate and he took a hard line stance saying, yep. you know, I'm going to do it anyway. Yep. I thought it was interesting to see that Raul, who, you know, by my standards is a fairly progressive individual. I would put him in the progressive camp of the Democrat party. I mean, he beat Brian Cologne in places like Chavis County. Right. I mean, progressives don't normally do well in places like Chavez County, even among Democrats. And, uh, you know, I mean, Raul, Raul, you know, he seemed to really get it together. And to Didi's point, I think the people, regardless of what you think the AG's job is, I think people believe he's the top cop, you know, and he is responsible for fixing crime. And I think, you know, it's clear that whether you're a bad prosecutor or a good prosecutor, having prosecutorial experience over political experience means something when you're running for attorney general. What I do think moving forward is I do think this primary really opens up, up an opportunity for potentially the Republican candidate running for attorney general in New Mexico. That's going to be interesting. Hey, Dave, a real quick, a group backed by former GOP chair Harvey Yates bankrolled a lot of moderate Democratic candidates for the statehouse. Very interesting. Hoping to take some of the thunder out of the progressive options off the table before the journal, I would imagine. Many of those candidates lost, though. Um, what does that say to you, that lack of success? Money can't buy you love or votes. I mean, yeah. you know, in some ways. And I think that, you know, you know, just throwing money at a problem, although if you're throwing it my way, it's fine, but it tends <laughs> not to work. You know, people really aren't, aren't, aren't fooled, you know. And, and I like the idea. I mean, I think that moderation in some ways is, is a good thing. This isn't the way to do it, you know, as we as we learned and stuff. So it's just I, I think that, it, you know, as a strategy, it makes sense. But but I, I don't know, you just you just cannot just throw money at it and hope it'll work because it tends not to. Mm -hmm. So you always got a question why the Nash, former Republican National Committee man is playing around in Democrat primaries, right? I mean, yes. I mean, is it really because you care about the level of Democrat candidates being elected or is it because it really helps you in your business? I would argue in some cases it's the latter. Good points there. Thank oh, you to our line. Oh, go ahead, Didi, real quick, if you would. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that the, the progressives that he was attacking and that um, uh, he funded, rather, uh, they, these were basically three women from up north, mm -hmm. progressive incumbents, and they were incumbents, and they won, mm -hmm. uh, as incumbents usually do. Uh, they were also funded by uh, and were part of the speaker's race uh, in the uh, in the House, and they were funded uh, by Patricia Lundstrom, who mm -hmm. is wanting to move up there. Good, good points. I'm glad you got that in. Thank you to our line opinion panel. We'll meet you all back here in less than 15, 10 minutes actually, talk about the general election. Right now, let's send things over to senior producer Lou Divizio. He caught up with Mario Jimenez, campaign director at Common Cause New Mexico, to ask how election day went across the state. Mention Common Cause off the top of this podcast, if you're not familiar. This is a bipartisan group that works on all things elections. They had poll watchers out all across the state on Tuesday for the primary election. And so we wanted to 
catch up with them and find out what their poll watchers saw, how they thought everything went, especially with the new changes. We did pilot same-day voter registration before, but this is the first time that was in full effect. And part of that, again, if you were declining the state, you were able to actually change your registration temporarily to one of the major political parties so that you could participate in the primary election. So there's a lot to dive into here as well as projecting ahead to the general election. And our senior producer, Lou DeVizio, want to do a big shout out to Lou. He has been with us since October when Matt Grubbs, who you probably remember, uh, took a job over at KOB TV and pay attention to what Matt's doing. It's great work over there as well. And uh, Lou recently promoted to our senior producer, and you may have seen him a bit here of late. He's done some Facebook Lives and some interviews and news roundups that we do on social media if you follow us there. But he caught up with Mario Jimenez from Common Cause. He is the campaign director to get a lowdown on their thoughts and their takeaways from Tuesday's primary. So here is Lou DeVizio and Mario Jimenez from Common Cause. Joining me today uh, via Zoom is Mario Jimenez. He's the campaign director at Common Cause New Mexico. It's a nonpartisan group with a stated goal of advocating for the core values of democracy in our state. That's things like election access, integrity, and creating a representative government. Thank you for joining us today, Mario. Thank you for having me, Lou. Appreciate it. Of course. Um, now, your group had poll watchers out at various uh, voting locations across the state on election day. Uh, what can you report from what they saw? Well, in addition to that, one of the big things we ran was our 866 voter protection hotline, where we received phone calls from throughout the state, voters throughout the state, concerned citizens throughout the state uh, regarding the election, how it was taking place or any questions. Uh, for a primary election, this particular one, it, it did go relatively smooth. We didn't hear any major issues. Uh, the majority of our phone calls that we received and assistance that was needed throughout the election was simply finding out how to return absentee ballots, where an individual can go vote, and the details of our newly implemented same-day registration. Great. And would you say that that hotline was successful? Did it help people uh, find the information they needed to get to the polls and do their duty? I would say so, yes, sir. In, in addition to our hotline, we did collaborate with a lot of other nonpartisan organizations uh, here in New Mexico. And one of those that I'd like to highlight is uh, NAVA, Native American Voting Project, who really helped us get out our 866 hotline number in the Native American communities. Uh, as you may remember, in our last primary election, uh, it was during the, the high times of COVID. Uh, so those communities were, were definitely, in, in many ways, uh, uh, disenfranchised due, due to polling locations closing. So we really wanted to focus those efforts on those communities and make sure that they did have access to, to a a ballot so they can cast their vote. Sure, sure. Uh, now, overall, we saw, according to the Secretary of State's office, 25% turnout um, for a primary election. How does that number compare for what you expected, what you would hope to see um, for a midterm primary? Yeah, you know, that, those numbers of 25% actually does track with uh, historical numbers in a gubernatorial election. Now, for this particular gubernatorial election, we did have one of the major parties have an uncontested gubernatorial race. So I think that also led to us not having a much higher turnout. Uh, the last gubernatorial presidential, I'm sorry, the last gubernatorial primary uh, saw just a little bit more of 27% uh, 
but even then, that was only a thousand more voters than what we received in yesterday's election. Okay. Uh, what, being realistic, obviously 100% is ideal, but what would mm -hmm. you like to see ideally from a turnout number? And how would, we, how would we get there other than what you guys are already doing with the voting hotlines and things like that? You know, ideally, we'd love to see 60%, uh, a minimum of 60% in elections that really shows engagement of our voters, of, uh, of the residents of New Mexico. But I think another aspect of low turnout that we need to look at um, when, when we're looking at these types of elections is the individuals who are running for office. Um, if you look up and down the ballot across all three major parties that were participating in yesterday's election, there are quite a few races that are uncontested. So a lot of these races are not gonna be decided until the general election, with the exception of some of those that have only primary contestants and will not be seeing any general election opponents. So I think it's important that we continue to encourage individuals to run for office and, and encourage uh, uh, other voters uh, to you know, challenge the incumbents and you know, to do a better job. Uh, with more candidates, we're gonna see higher turnout. Sure. Uh, you mentioned uh, the recent update. It's in the voting procedures that you help communicate to people, uh, like the same-day registration, expanded absentee voting available. Um, in terms of how those things went this year, um, would you say that those were positive and successful steps for our voting procedure? You know, I think they were tremendously successful. And, you know, just looking at the numbers uh, from yesterday's election, we had just a little over 10,000 New Mexicans take advantage of the newly implemented same-day registration. Now, this, this was a process that was taking place throughout the early voting process. So many of these individuals registered throughout the early voting process as well as election day. And so it was, the exact number is 10,038. And, and we saw a large number of those individuals take advantage of that for not only the Democratic, but as well as the Republican uh, primary election yesterday. So many of these people may have been affiliated with a minor party, uh, such as Green Party or, or Independent, declined the state, or these are individuals who legitimately registered for the very first time and decided to participate in a primary election. So I think the biggest highlight of yesterday's election itself was that we saw we had 10,000 New Mexicans who participated in this primary election who otherwise would have stayed home and not voted or showed up to the polls and not qualified to cast their ballot. Yeah, those are good numbers there for sure. Uh, now your group, it has another stated goal of re reducing the influence of money in politics. Uh, the GOP nomination for governor brought in millions, the Democratic race for attorney general with just two candidates, more than a million combined, was spent just in the primary. Um, is, for, for people to understand, is this simply an issue of the, the big totals? Is it how the money's spent? Or is it where the money's coming from? And I guess what I'm asking is why should voters care about these big fundraising totals? You know, I think it's a combination of all those things you just mentioned. Uh, you know, money in politics really does deter your average individual from wanting to participate in the political process and run for office. Uh, New Mexico, for example, does have an unpaid legislature and was created as a citizen's legislature. However, when you are pouring millions of dollars into a race, or a single candidate, you're really deterring other individuals from participating in that electoral process, especially when we're talking, you know, the big party influences. I mean, a lot of times that candidate is chosen before the election day even begins. 
you know, you're seeing party politicians and you're seeing uh, big corporations pouring money into that candidate they want. And that's how they are telling their voters, this is the person that we would like to have in that upcoming election. Please go vote for them. And I think it's important that we do the best we can to eliminate money in politics so we can have an even playing field across all candidates in all parties, in all races. Sure. Uh, out of state money specifically was a focus, um, also specifically in the Democratic Attorneys General race. Um, some watchdogs contended that donation from out of state firms were kind of like a essentially a down payment for potential contracts on big cases if their candidate were to be elected. Is that a reasonable accusation in what you've seen in your work? You know, with an accusation like that, I would say it's just that. Um, until we have something credible, um, you know, anybody can donate to a single campaign. And, and you know, that can be twisted as a job promised, uh, you know, some promises that are being made in advance of, of being elected into office. Uh, but, you know, as far as the money itself coming from out of state and big corporations, that is, again, definitely a concern. Uh, New Mexico, again, is built on a citizen's legislature. and We need to do our best to make sure that those who are representing New Mexicans are being supported by New Mexicans. Sure. Uh, now, obviously, there's going to be some money in politics. And it, would it be better to see these coming from in-state? What types of groups or individuals even would you like to see be these funding bases for candidates to make it more representative, as you've been saying? You know, I, 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 would, I would actually take that question back to um, our, our courts. Uh, you know, we worked tirelessly this past legislation uh, uh, to pass a, a, a election reform, I'm sorry, uh, a reform in our judicial systems to make sure that we take money out of politics in our judicial uh, races. And by providing them the opportunity to get uh, funded by uh, publicly funded elections, that helps level the playing field for those particular races. So that is an avenue that we'd like to explore in making the playing field level as far as the money in politics goes for all elections, not just our, our courts. Uh, so th that, that would be an example that, that I would point you to where we could look at leveling that playing field, taking the money out of politics, taking the money away from big corporations' hands to try to buy politicians. All right. Uh, now, thank you for joining us again today, Mario Jimenez, Common Cause New Mexico. One final question for you before we leave. Factoring everything in that we just talked about, how would you describe the state of democracy right now in New Mexico? You know, the state of democracy here in New Mexico, I would definitely describe us as a leader in democracy. I, I mean, during the last election throughout the pandemic, we saw many states implement reforms that are already in place here in New Mexico such as no, no excuse absentee, uh, such as voting convenience centers, such as same day registration, expansion of early voting. These are all methods of, of providing access to the ballot box that New Mexico has implemented and, and continues to look forward in implementing forward thinking democracy to provide access to the ballot box. So in short terms, I see New Mexico and always, I've always felt New Mexico is a leader in democracy and other states should really take a look at New Mexico as an example. Mario Jimenez, Common Cause New Mexico, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, appreciate it. Okay, so that's a wrap. You can put a bow on the primary elections this week in New Mexico. That means you know it, you love it. Full speed ahead to the general election in November 
And it is going to be a wild and woolly affair for sure. Not only do you have that governor's race that we talked about with Michelle Luan Grisham versus Mark Ronchetti, but you have got uh, three congressional races, all of the House races, uh, representatives from New Mexico. And you may remember with redistricting, all of those uh, districts are very, very different from in past election years, most notably CD2, which covers the southern part of the state, but now for the first time includes the South Valley and parts of the west side of Albuquerque. So that is going to be a much different race uh, as well as the other two congressional races as well. So we're going to project ahead, talk some about what happens come November and what we can expect in terms of money, in terms of campaign styles, all of it headed into November. So let's jump right back into it with our line opinion panel and host Gene Grant. Welcome back to our line opinion panelists. We're done dissecting the primary. Time to move on to the general. The race for governor is the big one and three U.S. House seats are also up for a vote. Sticking with the governor's race right now, Mark Ronchetti ran away with the Republican nomination and seems to have a motivated core group behind him. Daniel, should Democrats be worried? I think they should be real worried. Well, I think uh, they should be real, real worried. One, um, you know, if you look at the turnout in the primary over the last 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. Democrats are fast, vastly dropping off. I mean, in 2000, they had over 200,000 votes in the primary that were cast. This election, they had about 100. Looks like they're going to be around 130 to 140 votes cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Dem- Republicans for a bellwether for us was the primary 2010 between Way and Martinez. And we had a little over 122,000. It looks like in 2022, we're going to hit or exceed that number. So there seems what that means to me is there seems to be energy in the Republican base to get out and get involved. There doesn't seem to be as much energy in the Democrat base to get out and get involved. And the reason that I think it's even more of an example is lots of times in New Mexico, it's hard to, to take this information in a primary for Democrats because Democrats rarely have highly contested primaries. They're in charge. They pretty much are running as incumbents, but they had that this year. You had a pretty contested top of the ticket Democrat primary for AG, and it didn't seem to energize individuals as much as you would think it would. The Ron Kenny situation, I mean, to come out with 58% of the vote in a primary, to come out with 58% of the vote in a five-person race is pretty dadgum impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a rarity. And so he pulled it out. So I think it shows you that he clearly has support of Republicans, uh, the Republican establishment behind him. I think he's going to wind up getting report, a support. And contrary to what some bloggers want to say, uh, you've already seen Greg Zanetti's already committed to supporting Mark Ronchetti. I think Rebecca Dow is going to support Ron, Ronchetti. I think you're going to see all energy from Republicans because I think they see an opportunity for a victory at the top of the ticket this year. So I, I think things are, and like we said earlier, Gene, it's mm-hmm. just uh, it's just stamped with at the very end. I mean, you tell me the last time that the Republican Governor's Campaign, uh, the Republican Governor's Association came in two days after an election, a primary, to take on a challenger in New Mexico right. Right. and dumped money to buy a t- to do TV buys. I can't think, I can't they they got to see. Yeah. They got to see something out there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, a good reminder here is Mr. Ron Ketty was within six points of Ben Ray Lujan of that uh, Senate race, so it wasn't as if he got wiped out there. Uh, Senator Feldman, interestingly, um, the money advantage. We got to get right to this. Governor Lujan Grisham has uh, just over three million in the bank. Mr. Ron Ketty spent down to about four hundred seventy thousand dollars. 
One, does he have enough time to make up that kind of money, given what Dan was saying with outside help as well? But two, is the governor insulated just strictly from the money? Can she spend her opponent down at this point, starting early and often? Well, I think that's precisely why this outside money from the national Republicans are uh, is pouring in right now, because mm -hmm. they see that Ron Ketty has only uh, $500,000 in his account, mm -hmm. and they're going to make up the difference. And they do smell blood. I agree with Dan. Uh, but uh, this is not, and the, and the whole thing about the Republicans being energized this year, whereas the Democrats are not, I think that's really uh, true nationwide. It's a typical off-year election during the middle of a presidential term. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, looking at the primary turnout this year, and saying, oh, the Republicans are on the upswing and the Democrats are, are not participating as much. Well, of course, they did not have a contest at the top of the ticket. And uh, that's what people uh, uh, glom onto, not the attorney general's race, not the who's going to turn out for the treasurer's race or the auditor's race. It's the governor that captures the attention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yes, uh, the, uh, the national polls and uh, pundits uh, still call this governor's race lean Democratic. Mm -hmm. It leans Democratic. It's not a certain Democratic seat. Uh, and that is going to galvanize the uh, Democrats as well as the Republicans. And of course, the, uh, the race in the um, second congressional district where there's an opportunity to flip a uh, Republican seat in the House mm -hmm. is going to is going to garner some national attention as well from the Democrats. So um, I think that both sides are going to have plenty of money and the money will flow into New Mexico, uh, even if uh, other no matter what happens in other states, because in New Mexico, we're a cheap date. You can buy a lot. Uh, you can buy a lot of advertising if you're the Republican National Committee yep. or if you're the House Mo uh, Majority Committee. Um, so it's, it's going to come. Mm -hmm. Dave, I'm interested in your thoughts on the governor's race, of course. What does Governor Lujan Grisham have to do to, to kind of shore up her vulnerabilities, just put it that way. Is well, there a different message there? I only sing that there? song, so let me sing it. I think if that if we hear of one party, either the Democrats or the Republicans, at all the levels saying, we're going to make a big push to register voters. We're going to make a big push to get out there and try and engage young people. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Michelle, the, the, Michelle Luan Grisham has done tremendous things for the state. She brought in nearly $20 billion in federal money. And, you know, but but like everything, everybody only remembers what you did for them yesterday, you know, and that's what she's going to have to run on. And, and and so and I think but but if we hear there's a lot of I constituencies out there, Dave, that are, you know, not too crazy about how she handled the pandemic, how she, businesses. Right suffered here there's a lot of vulnerability it would seem right and and i think the national democrats are not helping with this idea of defund the police and you know lots of issues that that you know when people feel you know threatened by crime they're not happy i mean i was in new york in 92 and and you know when rudy giuliani was running as the law and order president mm -hmm. or law and order candidate for right. mayor 
you know, I mean, it's New York. It's like, you know, the heart of liberalism. And all of us are listening to Judy Lee Rudy going, I'm tired of people, you know, urinating on the sidewalk. And we're all like, yeah, I'm tired of that, too. And everybody voted for him, you know. So, I mean, all Democrats have to be careful. But I think she's got a pretty strong team. She's got a lot of money. She's a good politician. I think that, you know, she'll I think she can pull it off. But we'll see. You never know. Mm -hmm. The electorate seems restless. The electorate seems un unknowable, which is never a good thing for the incumbent. That's a good point right Gene, there. Remember this, Gene, in the last 40 years, New Mexico has only elected a governor in the same party as the White House once, Carruthers, in 1986. Interesting. So, so, you know, this is a great environment for the Republican candidate to be running against an incumbent Democrat with a Democrat in the president as, as the president from statistical, historical, statistical perspective in the state of New Mexico. So I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it's clear that with Ronchetti, 58% in a five-person race in the primary with a dominant performance. I think he's well-positioned heading into the general. Mm -hmm. Senator Feldman, I want to t retouch on something you just mentioned in passing a second ago in looking ahead to the three U.S. House races. The most intriguing to me will be the newly minted uh, CD2, of course, uh, being defended by Republican incumbent Yvette Harrell. A lot of that seat, of course, you know, abuts CD1 up here in the Albuquerque area. What does that do to campaigning? confusion? I mean, there's a lot of different factors going on here. Well, um, yes, uh, this is a whole new ball game now mm -hmm. uh, for CD2 because it includes the South Valley of Albuquerque That's and right. parts of the West Side. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it will tilt more Democratic this year as a result of redistricting. Um, and so um, it's going to be more of a race. Um, and also, um, I think uh, Representative or uh, Congresswoman Harrell has proven herself to be um, really right wing uh, and, and made a lot of statements that uh, will not sit well with her new, new constituents. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that um, unless she gets up here and starts really campaigning like crazy, and I, I've seen her maybe once uh, in this area. Mm -hmm. um, she's she's going to ha have uh, quite a challenge from uh, Gabe Vasquez, who is well known in the South and uh, was a city councilor in Las Cruces um, and uh, is a very energetic uh, campaigner. So um, we'll uh, we'll see what what happens there. Mm -hmm. But that's certainly going to uh, be a race that turns out Democratic voters. Mm -hmm. um, and that will, of course, have an impact on the governor's race as well. Mm -hmm. So um, just, you know, just as this time, the, the having no contest uh, at the top of the Democratic ticket depressed uh, Democratic turnout somewhat in this primary, I think having this hot race in the South is really, it's gonna help the Democrats. Good point there. Uh, Dave, the other two U.S. House races are close to home. District one here, incumbent Democrat Melanie Stansbury takes on Republican Michelle Garcia Holmes again. And in district three, incumbent Democrat Teresa Ledger Fernandez faces Alexis Martinez Johnson. Uh, familiar names in oppositions there, but the obvious question, are those safe seats for Democrats or all that, that we're talking about here make it 
a little bit different than safe. Well, I mean, you know, define safe, see, you point. know, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, don't forget, all three of these districts are new. And, you know, and I know that it was very much looked at that they were the Democrats in the state legislature were in charge and they thought, well, we can fix this. And but, you know, like sometimes you 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 do with the best intentions, you cause things that you weren't expecting. And mm-hmm. so and again, I think turnout is going to be key. You know, um, I, I mean, when you look at it, like, you know, up north in Teresa Ledger, you know, her district, they've been dislocated on a massive scale. I mean, I don't know if it is it affects one or two or three points or 10 points, the number of people that have been, you know, dislodged because of these fires. So we don't know. And, you know, the, the, the number three thing is new, but. You know, if you ask the average person, they have no idea what their congressional boundaries look like. (laughs) I'm getting that feedback from a lot of people right now, especially in the South Valley area that Didi mentioned. It's a lot of crossover. It's news to a lot of people at this point. I think, think, Gene, I think there's going to be a lot. I think there's a couple of things on the congressional races. One Mm -hmm. is, you know, I think Senator Joseph Cervantes got his wish. And he's been, you know, since I was in the legislature, he's been talking about making all the districts more competitive and all the districts are more competitive now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Republican one's a little more competitive for, for D's. Now, I still think it's a, a leaning Republican seat. Um, and, you know, that I think it's the first congressional district. Uh, no, the third one is is more competitive for ours now right. than it was in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a couple things to be said about these these upcoming congressional races. Didi's right. There's going to be a push by Democrats, but the Republicans aren't going to go to sleep at the wheel. Right. Right. I mean, you're going to see southeastern New Mexico. I think if they've done anything to energize southeastern New Mexico, you know, there's a reason why those of us that didn't live here refer to this as the Emerald City. And so when you start saying mm-hmm. when you start saying, hey, listen, we're going to let people from Albuquerque decide who represents Roswell, you're going to get more people to turn out. And I think you're going to find that there may be some people who cross party lines for geographic lines to support uh, keeping somebody close to home. Interesting points there. We'll be keeping an eye on campaign season in the coming weeks and months ahead of the general election, of course. Thank you once again for, to our line opinion panelists. We'll see you back at the virtual roundtable one final time in less than 15 minutes. But first. An important conversation between environment reporter Laura Pascas and the chief engineer at the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District. Now, as Jason Kasuga puts it, the outlook for water supply from the river is bleak. It is the political season. There is no doubt about it. If you don't know that already, you certainly do after listening to all of the conversations. We obviously do a lot on politics and elected officials here on New Mexico and Focus. But we also know this is a really interesting time in the state and in the country, whether it be ongoing impacts of COVID, whether it be the leak of an apparent ruling that would overturn Roe versus Wade, we are as politicized as ever. And we know that can play into things like the turnout in Tuesday's primary election. Uh, But there is just a sharp tone change uh, in politics in this country. Maybe not as much here in New Mexico, but we're seeing signs of it as well. And this week in our One More Thing, which is the warm-up we do with our line opinion panelists on Facebook Live, just a fabulous conversation, I thought, about not only what's causing some of that, but what we can do to fix it and make politician not a dirty word once again. 
That is really how it has turned out of late. You've heard Mark Ronchetti in his race for governor talk about an outsider that he is. But once upon a time, politicians were viewed as very important people doing very important work. We used to call them statesmen and stateswomen. I remember hearing Gwen Ifill talk years ago when she came to Albuquerque about how uh, even at that time, we were talking about uh, the politics and the divisions, and she talked about how she had a very idealistic view that these folks who go to Washington, D.C. to represent us really do do their best to do what they think they should be for their constituencies. Whether that's true or not today uh, is another question, but we need that, and so we need to have these difficult conversations about how we achieve that and how we also get back to talking about issues instead of just throwing yourself in one camp or the other, whether that's Trump, whether that's Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Elections used to be about issues, and we've come a long way from that, and you hardly hear any talk, substantive talk on issues and what to do about the important problems facing New Mexico today. So I think some really great thoughts here. would love to Get your input on this as well, and you can do that in a lot of ways. Our social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, just search for NM in Focus or New Mexico in Focus. You can go to the website, leave us an email there, leave us your thoughts. Uh, You can actually record your thoughts and leave that as an audio file here on this podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can get back to focusing on issues and doing the important work that needs to be done. But here now, once again, the Line Opinion Panel. I'm Gene Grant here in the studios of New Mexico PBS with our line opinion panelists joining me on Zoom. They're right over there. We're about to record this week's show, but before we do, we'd like to warm it up a little bit by taking a turn at other issues that are on our minds because there are so many things going on in the world and our city for sure. Daniel Foley, always good to have you on. What's your one more thing this week? Uh, My one more thing is uh, it's interesting that you would ask me. We were sort of talking about this earlier, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when you see the, uh, the turnout that's seems to be dropping and uh, people being less and less engaged with politics. I I hope people are getting the message that it's time for us to stop fighting and start talking. Mm. We have serious problems in this world and uh, it's time for people to, you know, put aside their partisan differences, be able to have conversations, realize that compromise means I don't get 100% of what I want. You don't get 100% of you want Mm -hmm. what you want. And at the end of the day, we have to look outside of getting reelected, serving the party, doing the things that other people think. At the end of the day, we got to do what's right for our constituents, our state, our community, and our country. And uh, I think a lot of that's been brought to the forefront with what's going on, uh, you know, with the shootings, with the riots, with, I mean, you name it. I mean, the, we've, we've had more issues in the last 18 months, you know, whether it's, you know, school shootings, whether it's going after Supreme Court justices, whether it's you know, you name it. And we just seem to be getting more and more callous to understanding that our fellow man has, you know, our fellow human beings, you know, that, that we can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my one more thing is, you know, I hope the politicians, you know, the two or three that watch our show will realize that, you know, you can actually, uh, you can actually, you know, be, you can actually have a different philosophy and still be friends. You know, I, I think back to, my time in the legislature, I probably never voted for a bill with Kenny Martinez. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kenny Martinez and I ever have, if you could find two votes that we have alike, I'd be surprised, but he's my daughter's godfather. 
Um, you know, we don't talk politics when we get together. Right. We agree to disagree. He votes for he who he votes for. I vote for who I vote for. But our families work together, play together, vacation together, and we're intertwined. And if we could just get more of that in our political fabric, our political makeup, I think our country would be a lot better off. I got a question for you. And uh, Senator Feldman, if you want to weigh in on this partially in your, in your turn as well. Does it seem, it seems to me, Dan, your, your point's well taken, but there has to be a point proven at some point where folks can look at it and say, okay, look at that. This side gave, this side gave, we came to this that works for the people. Is there anything like that on the horizon to you? I, I mean, guns, anything else where we can find compromise where the American people can say, this is how we can do it. This is a, a template so, now for the future. So I, I don't mean to jump on Dee. I'll shut up in a second, but I'll say this, that mm -hmm. yes, I think it's coming. I don't necessarily mean, think it has to be necessarily give a compromise on an issue. Okay. Right. I mean, I mean, we have, and I'm not, again, Gina, I'm not saying this, people are gonna say, oh, look, there he goes. You know, we have a president now who ran on bringing people together and he's not doing that, mm -hmm. right? We have people running for the Senate. We have people in the U.S. Senate that, you know, that they're, you, you get them on a political talk show and you ask them about an issue and it turns into, well, what I don't like about those guys. Right. I mean, why doesn't somebody just go and have, you know, why don't they just go have lunch together and come back together and say something nice about each other, right? But, I mean, you know, I, I think that it's our system of elections partially mm -hmm. where, you know, you, you, you spend your entire um, election trying to differentiate yourself from your opponent right. uh, trying to you know say how different and why he or she is really bad and you're really great and those skills might win elections but then once you get into office it makes it, it just by its very nature makes it almost impossible to compromise mm -hmm. so i don't disagree with Didi at all i agree 100 percent. the only thing i would say that i disagree with is i think when we're running for campaigns when i differentiate myself from Didi, that's far different than when i served with Didi, and we don't seem to ever get past the running for elections right i mean the stuff where we're it's just you know i mean everything now is about people's families their children their brothers their sisters the job they had the people they worked for what i mean we, our elections have turned into a 24-hour tmz not a 24-hour you know what's the difference between what's the you know if you elect Didi. What political philosophy are you getting and what is she espousing versus my political philosophy? Mm -hmm. It's now about how many boyfriends or girlfriends or who cheated on who. It's like literally we've turned our politics into a reality TV show. And I think people are tired of it. Mm -hmm. And I think people are turning it off. And the most dangerous thing that's going to happen to this country and is happening is when the average human being decides they've had enough. And their response is, I'm done. Yeah. Not, I'm going to go protest. Not, I'm going to storm the Capitol. Not, I'm going to write letters or send out emails. It's when they get apathy and say, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And we're getting there fast. Well said. Well said. Senator Feldman, if you want to pick up on that, that's fine, too. If you have a whole other one more thing, that's fine, too. But I hear your point on, you know, the inability to leave hard feelings behind after uh you know, a bruising election. We're going to talk about, of course, the primary uh, just passed, of course, when we tape for the show here. And we've got even inside parties, there's hard feelings to get past <laughs> when candidates win in a primary. It's a tough one. Human nature, it, it's, it's tough on that, isn't it? It's hard to let go. Well, I do have another topic, mm -hmm. but I do want to say this, and that is what we've seen now on, um, in our elections is the tendency of people 
candidates to say, I'm not a politician. I'm a no, I'm the non-politician. Right. Po the idea of politicians being dirty. And um, of course, you know, the politicians are the only ones able to talk things out, come up with solutions and pragmatic, uh, pragma uh, pragmatically solve problems. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if our elections are such that you must show that you're uh, again, you're the non-politician. You know that you're you're not. Uh, you're that that's a signal for gridlock. Yep. That's a signal for gridlock, which then of course creates apathy because nothing is happening and people are powerless. Mm -hmm. So it becomes sort of a vicious cycle. So can I can my, I aim, may I amen that because I, I'm very frustrated with this angle as well that I'm not a politician. What happens if you get elected and you walk into a situation, of course, where there are politicos who respect the business of being a politician? You see what I mean? It's a, it's a setup. They've set themselves up for it. Don't get me started. It's a sore subject. I apologize yeah. to pile yeah. in on that. Too. You had another well, topic there. Sorry yeah, about that. My, my topic was really uh, red flag laws. And ah. here's an example of where you know i think that uh, policy makers and uh, could compromise mm -hmm. and in the new mexico legislature we have a red flag law mm -hmm. and um however and a red flag law is, is the extreme risk firearms protection act which is aimed at keeping uh, guns out of the hands of people who are mentally ill uh who are um a danger to themselves mm -hmm. and to others. So this is this is part uh, of what's being discussed now uh, in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate, as the really the only uh, possible compromise on um, guns that is on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's in 19 states now. We have it in New Mexico, but it's not very effective. Um, and it's not very effective. Um, it's pretty cumbersome uh, the way it's set up. And, you know, in order to pass, it had to be have certain uh, safeguards whereby, you know, uh, family members and, uh, you know, victims of domestic violence cannot go directly to uh, a judge to ask for a, uh, a uh, protective order. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they have to go first to law enforcement. They have to go to the police or the sheriffs. And then the sheriffs and the police go to the judge who can um, do a 10-day temporary suspension of firearms. But then after that, there has to be a hearing. Mm -hmm. By that time, you know, by that time, um, you know, it's, it's a dangerous... We want to get people during that interlude where they are getting ready to go to the school and shoot a classroom right. um, or um, in the heat of the moment, uh, like outside of Cottonwood Mall, mm -hmm. when uh, two teenagers were killed and then uh, the uh, gunman turned the gun on himself. That if there had been a, um, well, if there had been actual implementation of this law here in New Mexico, it would save lives. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, as usual, uh, politics got in the way and a lot of uh, the sheriffs in particular yep. and law enforcement don't like it, say they won't enforce it. Um, and um, so it's, it's limited in its effectiveness. So, you know, this is, however, this is what we're down to. 
Um, and uh, it's, it's not even really a half a loaf. Um, as one columnist in the paper uh, recently said, it's, it's maybe a slice of the bread right. uh, that we need. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe that's all we can do at the, at the present time. Well, perhaps there's a new spirit um, with, you know, we have an election coming up. We have new folks coming in ostensibly. We've got, you know, on the, well, we'll get into this when we get taping on the show. But it, there's a, some new thought on that, perhaps, and a revisit might be. Well, I think the Senate, the U.S. Senate in mm -hmm. particular, is looking for the, the, just to prove that they can do something, right. that they are not completely dysfunctional. They're not completely disabled by the filibuster mm -hmm. uh, and by partisan divide. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be watching that because if they can't even do this, then, you know, as Dan says, I mean, it, it it's going to be a signal, I think, to a lot of people to sort of fold up shop. Yeah, I think Dan's quite right on that. Uh, my man Dave Mulryan's here, founder of Everybody Votes in New Mexico. It's been a while since we've had you on, my man, but it's great to have you on today. Perfect timing. What's your one yes. more thing this week? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my one more thing in some ways, it's about voting, but, you know, to sort of talk about what Didi and and Dan were talking about, you know, politics as is practiced right now or campaigning as is practiced right now, we really don't talk issues, you know, we really don't say mm -hmm. to, you know, people don't want to hear what the issues are. They, they, you know, they say, I'm a Democrat, and that immediately defines them as, I don't know, whatever they think it is defines them, or someone says, I'm a Republican. And immediately, you know, I, I've been to so many of these meetings, and I think, why am I at this meeting? Why are all of these people at this meeting? They're all Democrats. You know, I mean, Hitler himself could be on the ballot, and everybody, if he was the Democrat, everyone would vote for him. I mean, I think that we've allowed the, the political labels of being a Democrat or being a Republican to sort of define, you know, how we vote. We don't talk issues. Mm -hmm. We only talk, you know, Dan was saying it's become TMZ. I would say it's become Miss America, you know, also. It's like mm -hmm. all the surface stuff and everybody wants to get, you know, have world peace. But I, I think we really have to really also say, you know, the politicians, and, and I agree with Didi too, nothing infuriates me more or it doesn't infuriate me anymore, but it's just sort of like, you know, everyone's running on this idea that I'm not a politician. Well, you know, maybe a good for a practical, you know, experienced politician is a good thing to have running to be a politician. No. I don't know. I could mm -hmm. be wrong. Call me crazy. But mm -hmm. so I, I think that in addition to the politicians, in addition, the voter has to really sort of start to pay attention. And I think part of the politics, everything you need to do when you are campaigning, you could do at the voter registration table. And I think the politicians, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be the next day. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats are going to realize the number one thing that people sign up for when they sign up to register is a non-party. And you do not state, decline right. to state. Yep. They they see both parties as equally bad, mm -hmm. and I think that's very serious for these parties. It, it threatens their fundraising. It threatens everything. But you know they're not going to listen to me about it. So mm -hmm. I've stopped trying to tell them. How's that? Well, no no political party is guaranteed to last forever. I mean we've had many of them come and go in American history. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's Does, right. Doesn't mean you know in modern times you know a certain party or a party can't be diminished to a point where it's almost irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's always the threat of a third party, which well, can wake people up you know, too. 
please. And another, and another thing, some of these do have structural solutions, mm -hmm. and that is empowering the decline to state folks and the independents so that they can weigh in mm -hmm. uh, in election races. I think then you would, this might moderate the uh, the partisan divide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, both parties are bitterly opposed to to letting um, letting mm -hmm. uh, decline to state folks uh, vote mm -hmm. in primaries, although we've made a baby step this year yep. in allowing them to do so. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to do more of that kind of structural uh, stuff to empower the people in the middle and and we can do it yeah i think totally the first agree. thing to do the first thing to do i know we got to move on gene okay you know I, I think if you look at the republican uh i'll give you an example of just happened in the primaries the pre-primary convention process mm -hmm. right i mean here's yep, you know ron, ron ketty doesn't even get on the ballot right and yet he overwhelmingly wins the primary so do you think the 700 people who show up at the pre-primary convention are truly reflective of the 250, 300,000 Republicans in New Mexico? No, not even close. And so part of me is starting to think this whole pre-primary pre convention deal is really just a ruse because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, how does a guy, I mean, same thing happened to Gary King, right? On the Democrat ah, side, yeah, true, true. you know, I mean, these, these people don't even make the ballot in the pre-primary convention and, you know, then they're the nominee, right? Then they're the person that wins. Then they're, it just, it just, I mean, we've created these, you know, I, I used to jokingly tell people uh, kind of a little smart aleck comment about the Republican Party. I used to jokingly say, I, and Gene, you've heard me say this before, the Republican Party has a big, big tent. We just have a very small door to get in that tent, but we got a big tent. And I think politics is really turning into, we love to tell everybody, got a huge tent, but you got to check all the boxes before you can walk into the private club. So um, I think that, you know, the decline in the states, I think that's why more people are registering decline the states and independence and stuff like that. They just are like, they're fed up with the labels. Yep. Good points there, guys. What a beautiful primer for Friday night. All right, that'll do it for this episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. We thank you, as always, for listening in, for taking us with you throughout your weekend, on your run, to the gym, whatever you're doing. We love that we can go out and about with you and share this great content with you, and we appreciate your feedback, as always, as we've mentioned before. One thing you can do really helps us out a bunch is just to leave us a review here, wherever you're getting this podcast uh, and hopefully that helps get this out to more people who care about this kind of content. But we hope you have a terrific weekend. Stay cool. It's going to be a hot one. We'll be back with much more on Monday. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy. <laughs>